Hello, I'm Mark and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast where we look at how researchers can become more productive and use their work to achieve real-world impacts. So today's episode is on how you can get more from your digital footprint without spending lots of time. Uh, And in fact, without risking your time or your reputation online. Uh, I'm going to touch on social media, but uh, I'm going to have a look in more depth at social media next week. This is for you, whether or not you're on social media, whether or not you like social media or want to have anything to do with social media, I would argue we all nowadays uh, have some form of digital footprint. Uh, I'm going to define that as effectively uh, what you see when you Google yourself. Um, And if I put a wee caveat here, uh, if you Google yourself a lot, then Google knows that you love yourself and uh, you may not uh, get what the rest of the world sees when you Google yourself. Also make sure that you Google yourself um, not on uh, on campus, on your own network. Uh, it will also work that one out and give you something slightly different. So uh, go back home, go onto a friend or a partner's computer and Google, Google yourself, and that is your digital footprint. Are you happy with what you see uh, or not? Um, and do you feel that the time you put into keeping your digital footprint up to date is actually worth it uh, or that you're wasting your time? Uh, this is about getting efficient use of your digital footprints so that it brings you more and more for less and less time. Before we get into that, though, I would like to uh, have a look at this week's tip. And this week's tip is uh, going to stay with the kind of the digital theme. Um, and for those of you who do like social media, if you're on Twitter, uh, then uh, this is uh, something which is a fairly new um, uh, release earlier this year. Uh, so not massively new from, from Twitter. And it is uh, Twitter Moments. Uh, this is something that they rolled out uh, last year uh, as a way of creating stories uh, that they were um curating, uh, I guess. Um, and when you go on to explore and you have a look at what is the kind of the latest news and what is trending on Twitter, um, then a number of the things that you will see are actually moments. So this is something that you click on, you see, then you've got a full picture, you've got some text that describes what it's about, then you can flick through and there are then different tweets that uh, summarise uh, a story that, that builds um, uh, over a number of tweets. And the cool thing is, uh, and something that not a lot of people know, is that you can actually create your own moments now. Uh, And what's quite nice is that um, uh, Twitter will very often uh, work out uh, for people in your network that this is relevant, uh, and it will actually go into that kind of news part of Twitter. And so uh, alongside the latest uh, craziness of Donald Trump or whatever, uh, then here is uh, um, uh, my friend from ex-university who's got a moment about their research, and you flip through that one as well. Um, So how you do it is... uh, on the mobile version, at least, which is uh, how I use this particular uh, function, uh, you go to the kind of the settings wheel, and in there you'll notice that uh, a menu item has appeared called Moments, and you just click on Moments, and then in the top right you've got a wee plus, and you click on that to create a new moment, 
and you create the, the title and a description that summarizes all tweets that you're about to put together. You choose a picture. It can just be a new picture or something you've downloaded from one of the stories that you're, you're summarizing. Uh, and that is your kind of front page. Uh, and then you just add tweets. So you go, you search for the tweet and you add it in. You choose what order you want them to appear. And you have a really nice story that aggregates all the nicest things that happened in your latest conference or um, the, the launch for your new research project or um, outcome from your research project um, uh, or some impact that has happened from your research uh, all in one place. It's kind of like Storify, um, if you're familiar with that as a, as a technique but I think uh, more visual, uh, more instant, um, easier for people to access. So Twitter Moments is my tip this week. So today I want to think about your digital footprint. Uh, I've already described what I mean by a digital footprint. So this is just what is out there online that people can find about you. And in particular, I'm looking here at uh, your professional identity online. So when you're trying out the, the Googling yourself thing, uh, then uh, you're putting your name. Um, depending on how common your name is, I have an issue being Mark Reed. Uh, you may be putting it in inverted commas and putting the name of your, your university next to it. That's typically what people will search for. Um, uh, and for any major name, uh, if you look at Twitter, uh, sorry, at, uh, at, at Google uh, in the search bar, when you type that person's name, uh, normally the next thing that will come next to that that people search for with that person's name is their university. So that's how people will find you. Put that into Google and see what comes out. My question is, um, how do you feel about those results? So you can try it now um, uh, on your, your mobile phone or wherever you are. Just beware that uh, depending on how you're doing this, uh, Google might uh, bias the, the, the outcomes for you. You're going to want to maybe do this uh, in a more reliable way later on. But uh, give it a try and, and see what comes up. Um, and what I'd like you to do is now to, to, to characterize this in one of two ways. So um, how big or small would you say your digital footprint is? How actively reaching out or focused and easily findable would you say it is? So these are two ends of a spectrum. So let's look at the two ends um, in turn. Uh, and for many of you, and in my experience when I do training uh, on this, uh, this is the majority of, uh, of researchers, uh, you have a digital footprint. Uh, there is always someone uh, who uh, at some point says, you know what, actually, I'm pretty much unfindable. <laughs> uh, and if this is you, then 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 there are usually good reasons why that is the case. And, and we can have a think about that. Um, talk to me, tweet me, uh, let's discuss that. But for most people, this is um, fairly small. Um, and if you are, uh, if you do have a, a fairly small digital footprint, that is fantastic. Great thing about that is that hopefully you're easily findable. Someone Googles you and they come up with one place where all your stuff is and it instantly tells them all the things that they need to know about you that will help them to uh, identify you as a collaborator on a future piece of research, as a speaker uh, at their conference, uh, as someone who can help them to commercialise an idea or uh, provide policy advice. Uh, my question then is, is just how 
focused it is and how easily findable are you uh, are you on the second page of google results uh, actually are there a whole load of different websites and uh, of those different websites that uh, come out um, actually how useful are the ones that come to the top and if there is one that you really ideally want people to go to uh, then can you find that one um, and have a think then um, about whether you're on the other end of the spectrum. So uh, for some of us, and this is now a minority of people, you would describe yourself as fairly large digital footprint, fairly influential. Uh, so now when you Google yourself, there are pages and pages of results about you. There's stuff in the media about you. There's stuff on other third-party websites where you've blogged, and there are your own websites, and it, you're just all over the place. Um, that can still be focused if actually this is on a theme and it is clear from all of these different things this is clearly now the world expert in x or y the fact that this is all over the internet is probably a good thing if it is all kind of pointing to one thing this is the person you need to then get to do this job or whatever um uh, think about how influential uh, you are uh, online. So uh, if you have a very large digital footprint, you may or may not be influential. Uh, and the simple way of answering that is, uh, does good stuff come to you from that digital footprint? Yeah, it's all over the place, but actually, is it just simply generating more and more requests to review journal articles um, and nothing else? Uh, and if that's the case, then I would suggest that, uh, that maybe you still need to do something about this. Uh, and... Um, if you are on this end of the spectrum, so I've got a big, potentially quite influential digital footprint, uh, the next question is, is, to what extent is that a footprint that is actively and strategically reaching out to particular groups that you want to influence, that you want to benefit from your research? And uh, just work out where you are now um, and have a think about how happy you feel with where you stand uh, on that spectrum from... Uh, small, uh, focused, hopefully easily findable, too much larger, uh, and actively reaching out. Uh, and my hope is that you actually say, you know what, Mark, I'm perfectly happy with this. I have chosen to be exactly where I am on the spectrum, and that's where I want to be. Fantastic. For the few of you who feel, well, actually, yeah, I could do with being in a different place, um, then I want to ask, what could you do to move towards a better position on this spectrum? Uh, and I would suggest that for those of us, um, like me, on the, the, the larger, more influential kind of side of, of, of that uh, digital uh, spectrum, you may actually be saying to yourself, you know what, I need to uh, move in the opposite direction. I need to actually uh, become a little bit uh, safer in my use of social media. I'm potentially spending a lot of time on this uh, and time that isn't necessarily um, that usefully spent in terms of what I get from it. It's not that efficient. Uh, I'm potentially wasting time. Uh, and you're potentially taking a few more risks than you feel comfortable with. You've probably had a, a couple of close shaves uh, where people have taken offence or misinterpreted what you've said online. Uh, and you're thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm taking risks with my reputation as well as my time here. Uh, and maybe I need to contract my digital footprint, contract the amount of time and risk that I'm prepared to put into my online identity. Equally, you could be sitting there with a, a fairly small, focused uh, digital footprint. Uh, and you're happy with that because it is bringing you benefits. It's bringing you the collaborators, it's bringing you the information you need, etc. But you're thinking, you know what, if I just knew how, um, 
without taking too much risks, to move towards being bigger and more influential, then actually, I really do need to do this. And for most people, the reason that you feel the need to do that is because you want to achieve more impact from your research. Uh, and this is not for everyone. I would say that for, for many researchers, uh, being uh, small is beautiful. You, you actually just stick there because it is low risk, and that's great. And that's just think in that place about how you can get more from that small digital footprint. But for some people, uh, you want to actively reach out online in a targeted way. Uh, and the question is, how can you do that in a way that doesn't risk too much time and doesn't risk your uh, your reputation? So. Let's first think, uh, for those of you who are in that space where you've got a small but uh, perfectly formed <laughs> digital footprint, uh, and those of us who perhaps have a larger digital footprint, which we feel is getting a bit out of control and we want to go to that smaller, safer place, what can you do in that place without having to engage with social media or do anything high risk that can help you to get the most out of your digital footprint? Uh, the first thing I would suggest that you need to do is to audit your online profile. Do a digital audit of yourself. This is something that I do approximately once a year. You don't have to do it very often, but it is that process of systematically Googling yourself, um, uh, looking at what comes up on social media, whatever. You're finding out what is out there um, already. Uh, there are a number of altmetric, um, it's ALT, altmetric, um, platforms that can do this for you in the background on a regular basis. I'll come on to that uh, in a moment. But uh, what you're doing in particular is you're looking at what is my university profile uh, or my employer profile if you don't work at a university. And, um, uh, and am I happy with that? Is it up to date? Do I have perhaps an old profile from a previous employer, which because it's been around for so long, it actually comes up first in, in the search results. And that is quite a common problem. Uh, and what are my other online identities? And when people search for me with my name, um, and even more worryingly, if they search with my name and my, my university, do they come up with unprofessional um, or personal identities as well? For some of us, we're perfectly happy with that. Uh, we've got fairly benign interests, um, and that's fine. I'm, I'm not worried about that. Uh, for some of us, uh, we may be more private, or we may have uh, uh, personal interests that may be perhaps misinterpreted, uh, and that you don't want to, the, the world to know about. Um, and you need to know if they come up um, when people search for you, and if you're happy with that or not. What do you do then, based on the outcome of that order? You either prune or you cultivate these various online identities that you've found through that search. So the first is that if you've discovered a whole load of non-professional or perhaps unprofessional uh, identities, uh, you're either deleting them altogether, removing them, or you're locking them down and making them private. Uh, so a very simple thing that you can do there. Uh, also, you may say, well, actually, you know, I've got a whole load of identities on things which are just out of date. They're unprofessional because they're hideously out of date and I still haven't found time to update them. Uh, the reason that you haven't found time to outdate them is probably because you're not actually getting that much from those platforms. They're not benefiting you significantly. And if that's the case, then have a cold, hard look at this and actually decide whether it's worth putting aside some time at the expense of something else to update all of those other platforms or whether you just decide, you know what, I'm going to withdraw from them. I'm going to close those accounts uh, and just focus on the ones which are giving me impact. 
but at that time, you may also decide, well, you know what, I'm going to sound out from some other people or maybe listen to some of the suggestions that, that I come up with. And I'm going to actually uh, try out a new platform that might actually be more efficient and give me more benefit for the things that I want from my digital uh, footprint. So once you've audited your digital footprint uh, and you've done something about that to kind of get things in control um, and uh, it, how you want them to be, uh, the next step is to think about how you can actively manage your online identity so that you can get from that digital footprint the stuff that you need without spending lots of time. I think that the minimum management that you need is to regularly audit and update your various online identities and profiles. I think in an ideal world, though, you go beyond that and you have a clear online strategy that you actively pursue. Now, having a strategy does not mean you need to write something down. It just needs me, you to have an idea in your head about why you are online, why you have a digital footprint. And the answer to that, quest to that question could simply be, my employer requires me to have one, uh, and that is the only reason that I have an online identity. Um, so let's just check that I've got something that my employer is happy with. Beyond that, of course, there are lots of things that you could want uh, to get from your online footprint and have a think about whether what you're currently doing is actually giving you that efficiently. So for many researchers, I know they are online because they want to be part of broader networks. Uh, and online, um, through various different platforms, whether or not you get engaged with social media, it is possible um, through uh, websites, through email lists, etc., to be networked to an international group of collaborators and to be on the cutting edge with colleagues from your discipline, from your field. Uh, it is possible uh, through a, a number of quite creative uh, online websites now, and I'll describe a couple of these for you in a moment, uh, to get more targeted, more useful information to enrich your research that you wouldn't necessarily have stumbled across otherwise, um, uh, and that you wouldn't necessarily find in a targeted, research, targeted search for a particular literature review or, or paper that you might be writing. And the third goal that, that a lot of people uh, have is that they are open for opportunities and their digital footprint is something which is kind of an advert that says, this is me, I'm at the top of my game, I'm open for opportunities, this is my expertise, this is what I've got to offer, come and find me and work with me. Um, it may be that that's not the case and you're actually saying, you know what, I'm full <laughs> for, for opportunities, but I'm still here and use my work, cite it, if that's all you're wanting to do. So work out what is it that you actually value most from your digital footprint? What do you value most about being online and what can you do to focus on particular platforms uh, and particular things that you can spend your time on that will give you those things preferentially and not just doing it for the sake of it because you feel that you need to update lots of different platforms or be on the same platform that everyone else is just because everyone else is on that platform. I think for some of us, the goals are about impacts. And for me, certainly, one of the key reasons that I am online and that I am active online is that I want to generate specific impacts and benefits from my research for specific target groups. Uh, and that, for me, is about gaining online influence and then translating that online influence into offline impact. 
Um, and I'm not going to go into that so much now because for most of us, that does at some point involve getting engaged with social media. Uh, and what I want to focus on just now uh, is the stuff that you can do without getting into social media that can still really bring you uh, a lot of value and benefit. So if this is about research goals, not impact goals, then actually small really is beautiful. For most researchers, all you need is a highly focused network of people that you are connected to across the world through email, through websites, or perhaps through social media. Uh, I met one professor once who uh, followed 10 other professors in his field. Uh, and in his view, there are, there are only 10 people who I care about what they say in my field. And it's these 10 people. And therefore, that's who I'm following. Great. That's, that's all you need if that's all you're interested in. Uh, there are now a number of academic social media platforms that uh, that you can engage in, and uh, this doesn't involve getting engaged um, with LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, all these kind of bigger networks. Uh, and this is a, a very focused, targeted way, uh, which is, I would suggest, lower risk, but this is so social media, so there are still risks to your time and your reputation. Uh, and of course, there is Google Scholar, which is not social media at all, but it's one of these things that I just think all researchers should just have. Um, my Google Scholar profile is something that that drives uh, citations. Um, I'm in a, a rare and fortunate category of people um, who have benefited from uh, what has been called by some bloggers uh, the Google Scholar effect. Now, I've got no idea whether there's any basis in this or not, but a number of people have hypothesized uh, that certain people um, had enough citations already when Google Scholar was launched and started to get used by people that their algorithms meant that their papers were preferentially sorted to the top of the search um, uh, uh, outcomes list. Uh, and as a result, then that then attracted more citations to those particular scholars. So I think I was just at that perfect moment where I'd uh, got a few papers that were quite highly cited, and they've just collected heaps and heaps of citations as a, as a result of this. It is a great way to make your work um, highly visible. And I would say there is no risk whatsoever to do with this. Uh, no one can comment on this. No one can change it. There's no discussion element. It is just a shop window for your research. All you need is an academic uh, email address. So if you're in America, a .edu. If you're in the UK, a .ac.uk. Uh, and you can have this uh, as a verified account. Uh, and it will then populate this for you automatically. You just need to go in and uh, every now and then go through and check that they didn't make any mistakes and just remove articles that were not written by you. So virtually no time input to this at all. Uh, it sort automatically sorts your citations by uh, sorry your uh, articles by citation count, um, and the beauty of this is now that whenever someone searches for your work on Google Scholar, um, if uh, well in fact they don't have to search even for your work. So someone does a Google Scholar search, and what comes up is an article which includes you as a co-author. If you have a Google Scholar profile, then you'll notice that your name is underlined with a hyperlink. That person can click on your name and it brings up your Google Scholar profile with all the rest of your articles, which they can dive deep into and they can cite more of your work. Fantastic. Greater than that is, even greater than that is the fact that when someone does a Google search for you, uh, when the uh, results come 
back. Very often at the top there will be a little segment if they've worked out, if Google has worked out this is an academic topic, which suggests the top Google Scholar results. So even on a normal Google search, very often uh, you will discover that your paper or a paper that your co-author on comes up and you're directly linked from there. So a great way of making your work visible. I think no excuses. We, we should all have this. It's so simple. Uh, a couple of other wee tips then for you. Um, ResearchGate uh, and Pyrus. So first of all, ResearchGate. Uh, this is a, a Dutch-based website um, that is now the social network um, of choice for academics around the world uh, in terms of its user base. It's now overtaken academia.edu. Uh, but I'm told that uh, for the arts and humanities in particular, academ academia.edu is still uh, the, the network of choice. So depending on your um, field, you may want to choose one or the other. Uh, I've personally invested uh, in ResearchGate. Uh, like both of these sites, what they do is they, they actually find your work for you. Again, this is not a lot of work. So ResearchGate will email me every time it discovers that there's a paper by me and ask me, did I write this paper? I just click yes in the email and it goes into my, um, into my profile. Uh, if you want, you can configure this. So I've got featured publications, etc. But you don't really have to do anything to, to have this. Nice thing now is that um, if there is someone who is discussing my research on this platform, and there are very healthy discussion boards um, uh, on this on this particular platform, uh, then when someone says, "Yeah, you should read this paper by Mark," um, they then link to that paper, uh, links to my profile. I get a notification that someone is talking about my research. I can then dive into that conversation and be part of it and help them as well. For me, what is really powerful about this and the reason that I like this in terms of impact is that unlike Google Scholar, you don't have to have um, an academic email address. So if you are a consultant, if you are in the policy community, um, you can have a profile. Uh, there are various different types of profile that you can sign up to when you uh, sign up to this, this platform. Uh, and so now, when I have a look uh, at who has been reading my work, um, I get the instant boost of realising that 200 people have read my articles in the last week, um, which is better than the fact that still nobody cited them. <laughs> um, and I can see who are the people who has re have read this. Um, and I can see here is someone from uh, a government institute who has read my research and there's a little button that says request feedback and I can just click that button and say really interested to see you're reading my work I wonder if there's anything I can help maybe I can contribute and help your thinking in this area uh, a great instant connection to policy impact in that example uh, this is a form of alt metrics um, and uh, it tells you lots of information about the kind of people who are reading your work and where they're reading it um, so uh, there was one week where I noticed that uh, there was a whole load of people um, reading my work in Uganda, of all places. And I have one paper, my first paper, which was about Uganda. So I'm guessing that's the paper. Uh, sadly, I didn't have time. I didn't follow it up. But maybe there was a chance uh, that week uh, for me to have contacted some of those guys and say, why are you reading this? What's going on? Is there something interesting happening in Uganda? Maybe I could help. Maybe there was some impact there. Um, and that brings me on to the, the, the general point that I want to make about altmetrics. I think that these are, are fairly oversold um, uh, and they can be a bit of a red herring. Uh, very often um, they are talked about as impact uh, and they are a form of impact. But I would argue 
in the main, they are academic impact. They're not real-world, tangible impacts that you can really measure and that you can really say has changed the world, has changed someone's life. Um, uh, and so there are lots of these websites out there. I'm not going to mention them. Just Google Altmetrics, A-L-T metrics, uh, and you'll get a whole load of whatever are the latest platforms um, that, that are out there. And they will tell you uh, how much people are talking about your research in the mass media, on different social media platforms, etc. Uh, I personally think some of the metrics bindings are a little bit flimsy. So um, I have social media strategies where I have key influencers that I will ask to retweet or tweet about my work. Uh, many of them are academics. Um, and as a result, all of a sudden, this is highly tweeted. And it's like, yeah, it's highly tweeted because these people are I asked to tweet it with big followings have tweeted it. And that's all that's happened. Um, so, so I think take it with a pinch of salt. But for me, what is valuable about this is altmetrics are a really efficient and quick way of seeing if there is broader interest in a particular piece of work that you've done. If this is now creating a bit of a Twitter storm, if people now are blogging about this and it's hit some kind of media headlines, then that suggests that there is something beyond that article that is of interest to different groups. What I want to do now is to understand why they're interested, why are they tweeting about it, why are they blogging about it, what are those media articles actually saying, uh, is it good or bad, um, and then working out how I can then turn that interest into real conversations with real people that can actually now start edging me towards actual benefits on the ground for people that they can say is significant, that actually really makes a difference. So it's, it's a stepping stone. Uh, I said I'd look at two platforms. Um, uh, the second, uh, other than ResearchGate, that I want to highlight is one called Pyrus, P-I-I-R-U-S dot A-C dot U-K. This is owned by jobs.ac.uk, and it started out as a, a UK-based uh, academic social network. It is now a global social network, uh, and it has transformed itself into a platform for early career academics to find short-term, small-scale consultancy work. Now, the benefit for me of this is that this is actually a very targeted and easy way for you to achieve impact. Uh, so what they've done is they've identified uh, a gap in the market, which is for small to medium sized enterprises who want to work with academics or researchers to solve their problems. Uh, if they go to a university, then they will be met by um, a business development manager who will instantly tell them this is uh, how much it will cost you, £1,000 a day, for example, for uh, our top academics. Um, and uh, and at that point, most small to medium-sized enterprises walk away saying, great, if I could afford it one day. Um, uh, and so for large projects, of course, we work through our university business development managers. They manage these project projects for us, um, and that's how to do it. Uh, for these smaller projects, though, um, it is possible to work directly uh, with those companies. Um, and again, you do need to do this through your institution, clearly. Uh, you will have and check a consultancy policy, which will tell you how many days you're allowed, at what rate, and how much that money you get versus your university or institution. So check that you're getting this right. 
Um, but what you now have is uh, a profile based on your research, uh, knowledge brokers from Pyrus who are then matchmaking people who've got real world problems with people who have the research expertise. So this is not just random bandit things coming into your inbox. This is stuff that has been chosen specifically tailored to your research interests and profile based on the kind of papers that you've published. Uh, and so therefore, a fantastic opportunity perhaps to turn that research and that expertise and knowledge into a real world solution for a company on the ground. Now that might be fairly small scale to start with, but it may be that actually there are a whole lot of other companies out there with exactly the same problem and you can then expand, expand that up to the whole sector and then to another sector or from the UK into another um, national context and start to really have some really quite cool big impact. So uh, that's another one that I'd recommend. Um, the point here that I'm trying to make, um, just to conclude really, is that uh, I think we all have a passive online footprint. Whether we like it or not, whether we want it or not, uh, you will usually be able to find something about you. My question to you is, what is it like and are you happy with it? If you're not happy with it, what can you do to be more happy with it? And what can you do to turn that from a passive footprint into something that actively works for you 24-7 when you're in your bed at the weekends without you doing anything to it that is driving interest in your research, that is driving collaborators, that is driving opportunities to you? And how can you do that in a way that doesn't take up lots of your time? I hope that's given you lots of really great ideas. Point now is to put it into practice. So I like to finish each of uh, my episodes with an action. And the action today is actually going to be a bit more conceptual rather than practical. I've given you a whole load of practical platforms, tools, things that you can do to more efficiently drive the things you want from your uh, digital footprint. What I want you to do as an action is more conceptual because this is the most important thing. The most important thing is to have some kind of strategy behind why you have a footprint and therefore which of these different ideas you want to take up, which ones are gonna work for you. And so my question to you is why? Why do you have a digital footprint? And then once you've answered that question, what is it that you value most? from your digital footprint? What is it that brings you things that you want more of? And once you've answered that question, why have I got this? What is important about it? Then from there, start to ask yourself the question, what can I do to cut out the things which are actually a waste of time that are not bringing me the things that I need and that I want? And what can I do to start more efficiently and strategically drive the things that I really want from my digital footprint.